Good morning. All right, if you have your Bibles, open to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11 or your app, get it open. We're going to be looking there and at Romans chapter 8 most of the morning. I'll give you a few more verses toward the end as well. Uh, in case you missed it, last week we kind of started as we're in our series in good company, finding grace for the present in lives from the past. And last week, we jumped back to the topic of the life of Job and the book of Job. Now, Job is, a, is an incredibly challenging book. We actually covered the overview of 42 chapters and looked at the big idea of Job. And in case you weren't there to set the context for this morning, Job is really all about extreme pain. Job is known. I mean, he is the, he is the metaphor in most of our culture of you know, you suffered like Job, meaning in Job's case, he had 10 kids. He lost all 10 of his children to death. He had a fortune amassed as a very successful businessman. He lost every dime he had. He lost his family. He lost his, 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 uh, his life. He, he didn't lose his physical life, but yet he, he got afflicted from the top of his head to the ball of his foot, the sole of his foot with boils and sores. And I mean, he suffered. And he suffered from something else, and that was asking God why. And knowing that he was authentic, he wasn't perfect, but he knew in his heart he loved God, he was following God, he didn't think of anything he had, do, he had done to deserve this. But when he asked why, God was silent. God didn't tell him why. Now, we know looking back on Job, that God had a purpose. And that purpose partially is you and me. That purpose is that God wanted to record in history a story of extreme suffering, but yet extreme faith. And the importance of trusting God even when you don't know why. That was Job. So I decided to go to another story of grace from the past. But we're going to jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the Apostle Paul. And I, I call him today in your outline. If you want to pull it out, this will really be helpful today if you want to follow with me on the outline. I call him the Apostle of Pain. Because the Apostle Paul, like Job, experienced a lot of pain. But his pain, more like you and me, uh, took different forms uh, it was less severe than Job's, but yet just as serious. But then God revealed to the apostle why. He gave him tremendous insights on, so why is there pain in this world? Where does it come from? And what's God's purposes behind our pain? Uh, so we're going to explore now from the Old Testament, jump into the New Testament, Paul the Apostle of Pain, because he experienced all kinds of pain like we do. Pain takes a lot of different forms. Some of it is self-inflicted. Much of it, it is not. What does God say about pain? Open to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. When we go to 2 Corinthians 11, what we're going to see is the journey of the Apostle Paul summarized in one paragraph. His, what I call, journey with pain. And then we're going to go to Romans 8, and we're going to unpack from Romans 8 the reality of pain. What should be our expectations 
as followers of Christ for life on planet Earth? What's our expectations? Because if our expectations are off, we're much more likely to get blindsided by pain. Finally, we'll move from the reality of pain to the roots of pain. Where does it come from? Does God cause it? Does God not cause it? Does, does the devil make me do it all the time? I mean, what's going on? And then we'll look at not just the reality, the roots, but finally, we're going to end with what I hope is most helpful, and that is, so what's the reason? What are God's purposes? I want to give you the top four, the top four purposes of why pain is something that even though you may not enjoy it, I don't, I don't ask for it, I don't go looking for it, but God indeed does use it. And we're going we're gonna to see where that is. Ready? So reality, roots, and finally the reasons behind this thing called pain. Listen to the apostle's journey through pain. Did he ever suffer? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Paul says, as a servant of Christ, here was his experience. And again, he's one of the more committed disciples of Jesus ever lived, right? Here's what he says. He says, I speak almost as an insane person when I think about all this. He says, he says I have suffered far more than others in far more labors, in far more imprisonments. I've been beaten times without number, can't even count them, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. That was the most allowed under Jewish law because 40 lashes were con was considered, uh, it would probably kill you. If you remember, Jesus experienced 39 lashes before he went to the cross. Paul says, I, I did that five times, not once, five times. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Uh, once a day and a night I spent in the deep, in other words, in the ocean. He says, I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness. <laughs> Everywhere he goes, dangers on the sea. Dangers among false brethren. Verse 27, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, had hunger, thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then verse 28, and apart from all these external things, there's the daily pressure I feel of concern for all the churches. This guy was responsible for birthing the church all around the Mediterranean world and the spread of the, of the kingdom of God and the spread of this movement called Christianity. And he says, I feel the pressure of leadership on top of all the other physical things. So that's been my life. See, Paul was experienced with pain. But out of that experience, he's probably, I call him the apostle of pain because he writes more about pain and about God and about how the two come together than any other author in scripture. And that takes us to Romans chapter eight, which of all the passages, I think Romans eight is the most detailed uh, passage in helping me understand my life in relation to God and pain. The reality of life on planet earth is it hurts. We're going to pick it up in verse 18, but before you pick it up there, notice the context. This context is not about a guy who's walking away from God. The context is saying in Romans, uh, Romans 8, 1, therefore there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We are forgiven completely of all of our sin. 
He goes on later in verse 9 and saying, and God's given us his spirit. However, we're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, Romans 8 9. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't even belong to Christ. So every follower of Christ, good, bad, or, or in between, doesn't matter. You have the spirit of God living in you. You have complete forgiveness, no condemnation to fear. You walk in the love and the grace of God. And on top of that, you're a child of God. Check this out. Beginning in verses like 12 and following, pick it up in uh, verse 15. He says, and, for, and you, for you have received the spirit, excuse me, you have received not the spirit of slavery leading to fearing or fearing God. You've received the spirit of adoption. You are sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, we are children of the living God in Christ. It says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, we're heirs also, heirs with Christ. You have an inheritance in Jesus Christ that's promised to you. It's yours in Christ. You're going to have it for eternity. Fellow heirs with Christ. But then he adds this phrase, if indeed we suffer with Christ so that we may be glorified with him. In other words, just because you're a child of God and dwelt by the Spirit, free of all uh, of condemnation, totally forgiven, uh, the fact is, he's saying, you, like Jesus, are going to experience some suffering. And then verse 18 begins with the word for, and he begins to explain why it is that you can have such glorious uh, blessings of the grace of God and still, as a child of God, expect suffering. And he begins to explain in verse 18 and following the, uh, the reality and the roots and a little bit of the reason, mostly the reality and the roots of suffering for the, for the Christian. So here we go. Pick it up in verse 18 and read it and listen to all the words that are kind of suffering type words. He says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time, this life, is not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, good news on the front end. You're going to suffer, but is nothing compared to the glorious future that you have. But for the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who did it, who subjected it. When, when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, when man sinned and sin entered the world, it didn't just screw up mankind, it screwed up creation, all right? So creation is a suffering planet. That's the key. Now, listen to what he says next. For creation was subjected to futility uh, in hope, verse 21, that the creation itself also will be future, set free from its current state, which is slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans, suffers, the pains he compares it to the pains of childbirth together until now. It's like a woman in labor about to give birth to a baby. That's what the creation is like. Right now, it's all about the pain. I mean, I have had three children. I know the pain of childbirth. Amen? Where's my wife? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know it. I was up close. I watched it. Okay, yeah. 
you know, I know what it's like when your wife says, rub my back, okay, you know, and I'm rubbing her back, and then she says, harder, and I rub it harder, and she says, don't touch me, okay, you know, I mean, that's painful for a man, but anyway, okay, but, but obviously, with all due respect, women, I, I realize I have never had your pain. I bow three times, okay. I did pass a kidney stone one time, though. And a female nurse said to my wife, I've had babies and I've passed a kidney stone. And I'm here to tell you, the kidney stone hurt worse. And I said, yes. <laughs> and I said, oh, this hurts though. Obviously, I, I'm not sure if she was right or not. I think she was trying to just help me feel better about the fact I was collapsing like a baby in the pain. But it hurts. But he says creation is in that painful part of its existence right before a woman gives birth. But what comes after the birth? The joy. The joy of holding the baby. See, that's, he says creation is like that. The joy is coming, but it hasn't come yet. Verse 22, we know the whole creation groans and suffers pains like childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also... And he flips and talks about us. We ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, we have the, the first blessings of salvation. We have the Spirit of God living in us. But that's only the first fruits of the Spirit. There's more to come. Because he says this, even we ourselves, we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons of God that is the redemption of our bodies. Because that hadn't happened yet. Our body is redeemed by Christ, but Christ hasn't remade our body. He hasn't released the body from pain and suffering. So our body is still aging. It's still hurting. It grows old and it dies. Someday we will have a resurrected spiritual body that we will live in forever. But that's then, not now. We, like creation, Hurt is what he's saying. Now, good news. Before we give the good news, what are the words? They're on the screen. Creation and our bodies both suffer. Go back one slide. Both suffer. Uh, go back one slide. There. Suffer. We're in futility. It felt like it's futile. We groan. We wait eagerly. We have pain, corruption. Uh, we suffer anxiously longing for release from the slavery that creation feels it's enslaved and our bodies feel enslaved and we hurt. See, that's the truth. So this is our, you know, I hope, hopefully this has made your day. You know, I hate to depress you, but this is life on planet Earth. It's true of creation and it's true of our bodies. So what's the point? Let me summarize this passage. In terms of the reality or expectation, it begins in verse 24. He says, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? If you already see it, you don't have to hope for it. But we hope for what we do not yet see. With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So what he's saying is freedom from pain is coming. 
But don't expect it now. And instead, let it help you grow and learn to persevere on planet Earth. That's the essence of Romans 8. Freedom from pain is coming. The baby's coming. But right now, you're in labor. Right now, it hurts. And the baby's not here yet. That's life on planet Earth. So what are the roots that produce this reality? Well, if I look back over the passage which we just read, the common causes of pain are summarized by this little paradigm. I'm going to build it for you. You should write it down and memorize it so you're ready for it when it happens. Okay, here we go. Maybe you don't think you'll have any pain, then just ignore me. Don't write it down. Okay, go into it unprepared. I'm just, well, no, no, I'm not kidding. You need to know this. Here we go. Where does pain come from? Because Christians often give very flippant answers. Painful things happen. I hear Christians say, well, well, we just know God is sovereign. So what's that mean? Well, we know God controls all things. So what's that mean? Does that mean that God made that person hurt me? Did God look down on me and decide just to give me that disease? Uh, does God enjoy war and conflict? Is God a racist? Is God a hater? See, my Bible says God is not the author of sin. And so, yes, God is sovereign. What's that mean? It means he is ultimately in control. This is his world, and he can change it when he wants to. But it also means that within his sovereignty, he's given a lot of freedom to his subjects. He's given freedom to people on planet Earth. And we need to understand that. Um, so where does pain come from? Well, here's what I see in the scriptures. Here it is. I'll break it down for you. Number one, we live on a fallen planet. Therefore, pain happens. We live on a fallen planet in fallen bodies. There's the first two reasons. Fallen planet, hurricanes, um, tornadoes, um, all kinds of things in creation um, that are causes of pain. And, and they're not going to go away now, they will. God has a plan to make what's called a new heaven, new earth that we're going to live in forever. But we're not in it yet. See, that's what he says. Creation itself groans and suffers like the pains of childbirth, awaiting eagerly its redemption. It's coming, but it's not there yet. By the way, let me pause and give you a little philosophical tidbit on this. People that argue against the existence of God often say this. Well, you Christians claim that if God is all loving, God is all powerful. And they say, therefore, I don't believe in God. Because if God was all loving and God is all powerful, he would do away with pain. And I go, wow, that sounds like it makes sense. But what they overlook is this. If God is all loving and God is all powerful, I would expect God to have a plan to totally eliminate pain and suffering. Forever. And he does. But it's not here yet. And that's why their argument falls apart. Uh, it also falls apart for this reason. Well, let me go on. I'll hold off on that. Fallen planet in fallen bodies. Um, we're on a fallen planet in fallen bodies. We're surrounded by fallen people. The planet is populated with people like you and me that sin and that hurt each other. 
And even on your best day, occasionally, when you're having a bad day, people hurt people. The number one cause of pain and suffering on the planet, where I would say the number two cause, is people hurt people. Uh, racism is real. Um, broken relationships are real. Broken promises are real. Lies are real. Deception is real. Because we live in a sea of fallen people. And, you know, I love people. You love people. You are one of them. I am one of them. But I cause pain sometimes. And sometimes I receive pain because I'm surrounded by fallen people. Fallen planet, fallen body, among fallen people. And there's a spiritual enemy who hates us. The scriptures teach that there is a spiritual realm headed up by a very evil former angel who rebelled against God named Satan and other angels who rebelled against God with him named demons. There is a spiritual dimension. Just make note in your outline, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. If you read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and following, it says, for we battle not just against flesh and blood or people, but we battle against spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly places. So, you know, this, this world, there is a spiritual dimension that is committed to ruining your life and loves to cause pain and suffering. And on top of that, we're constantly being tempted by all of the above. Sometimes we're tempted by the world that we live in and the culture that we're surrounded by towards sin. Sometimes we're tempted by the devil towards sin. Sometimes we're just tempted by our own flesh or our own sinful nature towards sin. It's not always like in Job's case, it's not always the devil doing it. In fact, when I was growing up as a kid, there was a famous comedian named Flip Wilson. Now, most of you are not old enough to even know who that is. Okay, right? How many of you remember Flip Wilson? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of us, old people, right? How many of you have never heard of him? Raise your hand. Okay, most of you. Okay, Google him this afternoon. Oh, you'll find him. But Flip Wilson did these incredible comedy routines, and often he'd be caught doing something wrong, and his famous tagline was, and some of you will know it, say it with me, the... The devil made me do it. Yeah, the devil made me do it. Is it devil? The devil made me do it. He was blaming everything on the devil. Well, no, Flip Wilson, the devil did not make you do that. You did that. And that's often a cause of pain. In fact, I would say one of the leading causes of pain is the fact that we get tempted and we sin, and sin is a cause of pain in my life. Probably the number one cause of pain in my life is the self-inflicted pain of not obeying God. Because when I choose to do it my way and not God's way, whether it involves any aspect of my life, pain often happens. It flows from sin. Someday God will fix that. But for right now, just say it with me. Let's just read this out loud. Why do we have pain? Because we live on a fallen planet, in a fallen body, among fallen people, with a spiritual enemy who hates us, and being tempted by all of the above. And then our own sin causes pain. I really believe that when we say that there's pain, we need to be aware of this. Now, I think ultimately when we say to someone in pain, well, we know that God is sovereign and we know that God is in control. I think it's okay to say that if you understand the context. Now, what you're saying is God is still there and God is bigger than this. 
And God must be allowing it to come into your life. That's true. Because I think God can stop any pain he wants to stop at any moment he wants to stop it because he is sovereign. But yet at this season, God is allowing his children to hurt. He's allowing pain to exist. But yet he makes an incredible promise. And here's the promise. It's in verse 26. Chapter 8, he says, and in the same way, the Spirit of God also helps our weakness. So what he's saying really is this. Yet, in spite of all of this bad news, in Christ, our weakness can be made strong, and we are deeply and forever loved by God when we're hurting or when we're not hurting. It never goes away. We always live completely and deeply forever loved by our heavenly father and his son the lord jesus and his spirit that lives in us that's a promise that's a promise in fact it reinforces it later in this chapter look at verse 31 it says what shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us well how do you know god is for you when you're in pain the next verse four he did not even spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not with him freely give us all things? In other words, it makes sense that a God who would give what he loved the most, his only son, for you and for me on a cross, is a God that can be trusted whenever we hurt. That's what he's saying. So God is forever and deeply in love with you. If you're one of his children and you've chosen to trust Christ, he is forever and deeply in love with you and with you and promises to go through pain with you, not around it, but to go through it with you. Now, why does he do that? That leads us to the heart of what I wanted to hit on. And that is the reasons that God allows pain, God's purposes for pain. Let me give you my top four that I see clearly taught in Scripture. Number one, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. Go back. Okay, you were in 2 Corinthians 11. Go now to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll pick it up in verse 7 where we're going to see this principle. God allows pain to display his grace and power. Got it? To display his grace and power. The Apostle Paul, referring to all the different sources of pain in his life, writes this, verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. What's he talking about? He's talking about the revelations that God had given him. And Paul knew that, wow, I mean, I've been blessed to be inspired to write a bunch of the New Testament by the grace of God. God is using me to record the word of God and to lead the expansion of the church. He says, well, because of that, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, becoming prideful, therefore there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a thorn in the flesh to keep me from exalting myself. He calls it a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, we're not sure what this thorn in the flesh is, some believe it was an actual physical ailment, maybe partial blindness or cataracts or this or that. Others believe that 
um, that it was, uh, the, the Greek word here could be translated, God has given me a stake in my flesh. It's the word that could be used for like a tent stake, not just a little thorn, okay? So depending on how you translate it, it's not good. And he says, it torments me, and it's from Satan. And he says, but God, and he says, and I pray three times that God would remove it. And God didn't remove it. But so when you hurt, pray and pray that God will remove it. Nothing wrong with asking God to take away pain. It's, it's healthy. But notice what Paul says. God did not remove my thorn in the flesh. Instead, verse 9, he says, and God said to me, this was the message he received from God. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Trust me. I'm going to give you what you need to get through your pain, but I'm not going to take it away. That was the message. What did Paul conclude from this message? Verse 9. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, and he broadens it beyond the thorn in the flesh. Notice this. Therefore, verse 10, I am well content, I'm okay with having weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, what Paul is saying is that God was allowing him to have some form of ongoing torturous torment it could be, some believe it was the people who were criticizing him constantly. Other people believe it was a physical ailment. Doesn't matter because then he says, so whether it's a distress or a persecution or an ailment or, a, or whatever it is, I'm okay with it because when I am made weak and Christ strengthens me, then I am strong in Christ. And the power and the grace of God is on display. That's probably the number one reason God lets us have pain. I want to show you a picture of some broken pottery. Now, this week, uh, my wife was actually listening to a podcast, and she ran across this illustration. And uh, so I, I want to say thank you, Becky Burke, for listening to that podcast. This is a, some pottery that was, uh, I found the picture online some broken pottery that came under a repair process that the Japanese call uh, kintsuji. Now, kintsuji does this to that broken pottery when it's repaired. Boom. Same pottery repaired by kintsuji. But what I want you to understand as you look at that pottery is how beautiful it is. So what Kintsuji does is they use a mixture of gold dust or sometimes silver, platinum, but most commonly gold dust and lacquer to form up a glue that they repair the pottery with and it produces this. But the reason it really caught my eye was I went online and read about it and it said that the Japanese do this because of a philosophy that says this, here it is. It treats breakage and repair as part of the history of an object instead of something to disguise. 
See, I use super glue. Why? Because I want to hide my cracks. When I repair a piece of broken anything, I want to use that you know, super glue because if it goes together really tight, I hope, I hope nobody sees the crack. No, no. Kensuji says celebrate the crack. Put it on display. Don't disguise it. It's part of your history. It's part of your story. And I think as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's exactly what Paul is teaching, is that the golden glue, which is a mixture of the grace and the power of God, when used to repair our brokenness, puts the beauty of the grace of God on display. In fact, notice, if you zoom in on that pottery, just look at it, notice where your eye goes. See, when you look at that pottery, my eye goes not to the pot, but to the glue, to the gold. That's what makes it beautiful. So, you know, the fact is, here's the truth. I am a crackpot, and so are you. So you turn to the person next to you and say, you know, you're really a crackpot, right? Yeah, we are all, we are all broken, cracked vessels, right? Doug, are you a crackpot? Yes. Yeah, okay, right, yeah. You makes me crack up all the time. Okay, anyway. Yeah, we're all crackpots. We're all broken. And when we let the grace and the power of God, when we admit our cracks, we don't hide them, I like that definition of kintsuji. It says that, you know, brokenness and repair are not to be hidden, but to be highlighted. And see, that's what God wants us to do. Because God wants to repair our brokenness. He wants to heal us. He wants to repair us, redeem us, give us life in Christ. And then the very cracks that were broken and the pain we've gone through become part of our story. But it's not about how broken we are anymore. It's about the miraculous golden glue called grace. It's the grace and the power of God that makes me who I am. And once repaired... I don't know about you, but I think that those pots are actually more beautiful and stronger. In fact, they tell you that when you go through a repair like this, that pot might get broken again, but it'll never break where it's repaired by the grace of God, by the crack, by the glue. It may break another part of the pot, but you know, it's actually stronger in the repair than it is in the pottery. Man, isn't that so true of our life? Now, I want to stick with that a little bit and go to the second reason why God lets us experience pain, and it's in James chapter 1, verse 2. James chapter 1, verse 2, and that is to grow us in godliness, to strengthen us and grow us in godliness. James chapter 2, if I can find it here. Here we go. So in James, what we learn next is that he says that we are to actually consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith builds endurance. And then it says, and let that testing, that endurance, have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete or mature, lacking in nothing. So the way God grows us and matures us is through testing. It's through 
sometimes suffering. It's no pain, no gain. And that's true in our lives. So God uses pain in our lives. And that's even true in pottery. Because the direct strength of a pottery, of a piece of pottery, is related to what? Do you know? When, they, when pottery is fired in an oven, it's the heat. Heat. More heat or less heat is needed? More. The more the heat, the stronger the pottery. The lower the heat, not that hot. You just got a dried piece of clay, which is very fragile. If you want good quality pottery, it's got to be fired at a high temperature. So the hotter the furnace, the stronger the pottery or the glassware. It's the same thing in our lives. If you really want to be strong in Christ, you got to go through some tough stuff and let God strengthen you. So number one, God uses pain and suffering to Um, humble us, draw us closer to display his grace and glory. Number two, to strengthen us or grow us. Number three, I like this one, to equip us for ministry. And I'll go back to 2 Corinthians again. 2 Corinthians. And this time, we're going to look at chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, and you should memorize this with me. It's a great verse. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says this. I'll just see if I know it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all mercy, the Father of all comfort, who comforts us in any type of affliction so that we may be able to comfort others who go through the same affliction with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I got that pretty close. Okay. Not word perfect, but pretty close. But here's what it's saying. So God takes us through something where we need comfort. In other words, loss, pain, suffering. He does it so that the same comfort that we receive from others, from God, we can turn around and help other people going through the same pain because we've been there. And we've seen God's faithfulness, and we've grown through it. So what God is doing is he's actually expanding our capacity to help people whenever he lets us go through painful stuff. See, one reason why God doesn't put a bubble around Christians is he wants his church to stay on mission. And the mission of Jesus Christ is to reach a hurting, painful, dying world with the good news of his gospel. And for us to do that, just imagine, if you accepted Jesus Christ and then you got a protective bubble put over you and you never experienced pain and suffering again, guess what? We would be totally screwed up and unable and incompetent at taking the good news to a hurting, dying world. Because they'd say, well, you don't understand my world because you live in that little Christian bubble. But whenever we can say, you know, some, I, we suffer also, but we have a different perspective on our suffering. And, and Christ has, has mended our brokenness and he is the golden glue that, and he's the source of strength and the source of comfort. And, but we've been where you are. Now we are able to be Jesus in a hurting and dying world. Say, well, that, yeah, but that's not fun. Well, it wasn't fun for Jesus either. But we are the body of Christ. 
So we have to suffer in order to do the work of Christ for the mission of Christ in a hurting world. Therefore, Christians will at times die and get the same illnesses, the same diseases. Tornadoes come through town. I do not believe that God protects Christian homes while he blows away non-Christian homes. He blows them all away. So the community can see how Christians respond differently to losing their home. And it's true of every type of suffering. The only suffering that maybe we experience less of is the self-inflicted suffering of sin. Hopefully we experience less of that so that we can be a light to the world that there is a better way to live. But God wants to equip us for ministry. And last but not least, that ministry is a ministry not just to caring for one another, but to the world to empower our weakness. He allows us to suffer, to equip us for ministry, but also to empower us for witness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says, whatever, you go, whatever you're going through, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And then it says, for uh, you're in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. And he says, in, in which you are to stand out as lights in a world in darkness. So we brighten our light for the gospel whenever the world sees us suffering and not complaining and not being in despair, being honest about our pain, but yet knowing that we have hope. That's what God wants to do. In fact, another reference you could write down is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says of the gospel that we have this gospel as a treasure in earthen vessels so that we might be able to, uh, to appear uh, and give hope and life to the world. But it's in earthen vessels. I would say it's in vessels that look like this. That's you. In Jesus Christ, you're not trying to hide the fact that you've sinned or you've had these addictions or you've struggled with this problem or you lost a child at birth or in the womb or you're facing death right now or you've got cancer or you struggle to trust God or because your kids are giving you fits or your parents are driving you crazy. I don't know what your suffering is, but what I'm saying is this. When we say, but I'm trusting Christ, his power, his grace, to put me back together. And when people look at my life, I don't want them to focus on the pot. I want them to focus on the repair, on the artisan in heaven named Jesus who applies his golden glue of grace and power to put me back together. And guess what, all of a sudden, this pot is more valuable, more beautiful, and more useful than it ever was before it was broken. To do that, breakage happens. Pain happens. But we have a God whose grace needs to be on display. Amen? Father God, thank you for the incredible work that you do in our life to put us back together, but to make us more beautiful, more useful, stronger than ever, that we might truly be able to say that God causes all things to work together for good 
for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. And that we can live with that assurance and confidence as we learn from the apostle of pain. In Christ's name, amen.